Coming up on The Exam Room. I had just endometriosis all over me, like everywhere, you know, Mm. and the doctor was like, of course you're in pain. But I had a lot of complications in my surgery. It was a super intense recovery. And I looked at my doctor because I had already known better, but I looked at my doctor and I was like, can you tell me if endometriosis and diet are connected? And she looked me dead in the eye and she was like, no, there's no evidence showing that endometriosis and diet are connected. There's nothing you can do naturally to heal any of this. You're going to be on pills and painkillers and birth control for the rest of your life. And I was like, okay, I'm done with you. Like, this is insane. I can't believe you just said that to me. And I basically use that conversation as fuel to keep going. And I went plant-based pretty much immediately after that. My husband went plant-based with me, but you know, I just was over it and we both went plant-based together within a couple months. You know, my cystic acne went away. A lot of my like really intense symptoms went away. I started to like actually heal from the surgery. And then within six months, I got off birth control. I got off opiates. I got off any hormone replacements and yeah, my life is like completely changed. Welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for raising your health IQ with us coast to coast in the U.S. and in more than 150 countries. Hi to everyone listening in Annapolis, Maryland, Pleasant Hill, Oregon, and Manta, Ecuador. Wherever you are, we appreciate you helping to make the world a healthier place. This is episode 45 of season 6, number 441 overall. Bailey Ruskus, better known to her legion of followers as Chef Bay. She is a trifecta of greatness, a seasoned chef, a student of holistic nutrition, and a health coach. But Chef Bay wasn't always on such a healthy route because she battled endometriosis for close to two decades. And her painful symptoms often then letting the air out of the balloon of what should have been the best years of her life. So frustrated, she goes on this epic health journey, tired of living in constant pain and wanting something more, wanting something better, wanting just to live normally. So she takes her classical training from her time as a chef at Le Cordon Bleu in San Francisco and she puts her culinary wizardry to task and she begins creating these amazing recipes with healing and nourishing ingredients. The thing is, prior to this point, she had only been told that the best she could hope for was to just manage her symptoms. But lo and behold, not only do her endometriosis symptoms begin to fade at this point, she then starts to get the urge to help others. Because if she is feeling this good, she wants all the other women who are struggling like she was. An estimated up to one out of every 10 who are going through this to find the same relief at last So she puts all of these recipes online, she starts creating courses, and she becomes a best-selling author. And her cookbook's title says it all. Cook, heal, go vegan. 
an amazing transformation from a one-time wild child to a master of health in the kitchen. So I think you're going to love this conversation of hope and of healing. Here now, Chef Bay on the exam room. So good to see you, Chef. Hi, that was a perfect intro. So great to see you too. It's really good to see you. And I can tell that like you're all business. Like I love your bubbly personality, but you're all business because you've got that big headset on. Like you're <laughs> like a sports commentator at the football <laughs> game, getting ready to call the play-by-play. -play. I'm digging what's happening. Yeah. You know, I have a podcast, so I had a mic for a long time and I like was trying to get the heads, like the earbuds in. And for, I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to get as legit as possible and have it one and done, you know? Do you worry so much about your hair knowing that you're going to put the cans on too? No, I mean, I have bangs. So the bangs can kind of like fill the face frame and like, yeah, I'm not too worried. It's all about like audio quality and then the rest just kind of falls into place, you know? Oh, this, this interview is so long overdue. Uh, it is not what anybody tuning in right now expected to hear, but just know that from one podcaster to another, I appreciate you, Bay. <laughs> oh, totally. Yeah. And I'm all business too. You know, I like to have fun, but we got a lot of work to do in the world. So we can't do it with, with poor audio quality. That's for sure. <laughs> Preach it. Preach it. Um, <laughs> so let's, let's talk about your story. This is your first time here on the exam yeah. room. And for the roomies who aren't familiar with you, um, your journey to plant-based came like millions of other women um, who are struggling with endometriosis, but you were one of the few, I feel, who have been able to link diet to disease as well. Let's start with your journey. Um, it says right there at the top of your Instagram, endo warrior. Yeah. When did your symptoms first appear? When I first got my period when I was 11. So I was you know, like any other regular preteen got my period. And then I thought I was dying basically. And my mom was like, it's fine. Like painful periods are in our family. You just have to get through it. And then like every month it was a factor of just getting through it. And then that kind of was what my life became just getting through my period. And, you know, I've been cooking my whole life. I simultaneously got my first job in a kitchen when I was 11. So my food journey and my endo journey just like started really young altogether. And yeah, it was rough. I got on birth control when I was 11 years old and I was on birth control for like, um, I don't know, 14, 15 years consecutively, which is like just not recommended. Not, it was just not good for me mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, like the whole, you know, the whole aspect of that was really hard. Is that normal? Like, forgive me as a guy, I just honestly don't know. Like, is it normal for an 11 year old to be on birth control? Um, it's really normal to prescribe birth control for, you know, painful period symptoms. And I think that it's too often easily like prescribed, you know, it's really so much of a bandaid for it. We're not looking at the root cause. We're not looking at like what that person's either eating, whether it's a child or an adult. And so I think it's too normal. You know, it's so often it's like you come to your doctor with painful period symptoms and the first thing they recommend is birth control instead of really looking at that whole person and what's really going on. And I really love Chinese medicine because Chinese medicine looks at your period as like the marker for your health. So if something's going on with your period, it's like, okay, like we need to look at that first, deal with those symptoms first, 
and then look at the rest of the person. Um, where I feel like Western medicine kind of deals with periods as just like a symptom and really just trying to like deal with the symptom instead of being like, okay, if this is wrong, there's a lot of other things that are going on too. All right. So again, as a guy, if any of these questions are stupid, just be like, Hey, Chuck, that's a dumb no, question. It's so important that guys talk about this stuff. Like my husband is, we always joke. He's like, I never thought I would say the word uterus, so much. <laughs> <laughs> but he knows so much now, you know, he can help my friends. If my friends have issues, you know, and I'm not around. So it's good that guys are aware because it creates a more compassionate community around women and what we go through. I know, right. And like, what are some of the things that you wish that guys did understand when it comes to endometriosis and periods? Because I'm telling you, we're yeah. in the dark about all of that. All the things. Yeah. I mean, I think like com compassion, all the things. I'm sorry. <laughs> all of them. Every last one of them everything. in the dark. Blinders. <laughs> Our entire life. I mean, blinders. I know. I know. Sorry, but it's kind of not wrong. <laughs> No, I mean, I just wish guys were a little bit more compassionate towards women, especially when we're looking like in the workplace, in the corporate workplace. I mean, working in restaurants for as long as I did, you know, I feel like women are expected to grind as hard as men in physical jobs and even like mental and emotional jobs too, especially during that time of the month when like, honestly, we should get some sort of time off, even like a day, you know, but we feel guilty having that time off. We feel guilty asking for help. We feel guilty, you know, needing that support. And I think I really learned this in my current relationship, my boyfriend, who's now my husband, you know, I was in the worst of my endometriosis journey when him and I were dating. So, you know, I was in so much pain. I was like going through all of these crazy medical things, which we can get into if you want to, but he just saw me suffering from such an early point in our relationship. And he was like, dude, like this is not normal. Like you should not be in this much pain on this many painkillers, going to the doctor this many times, flopping from birth control to IUD to arm implant and just being in like chronic pain. He was taking me to the hospital every single month for my period, you know? And so that's like an extreme case, but he really saw it because of the extreme aspect of it and was like, this isn't okay. I'm in this with you. Like you need me to advocate for you because I also would feel ashamed in the doctor's office to speak up for myself because I would feel kind of like, you know, my experience didn't really matter. And so he would remind me and be like, no, you're not crazy. This isn't in your head. Like you are experiencing this. And he was there to advocate for me. And I think women need that. You know, we're tired. It's it's hard existing in this world in 2023 in general, whether you're a man, a woman, whatever you identify as. But as someone that experiences period pains or is constantly going to the doctor for period pains, I mean, if you look at it, it takes over 10 years on average for someone to be diagnosed with endometriosis. And that is because it's not that that person's not going to the doctor for those 10 years. It's because we're constantly just being told our pain isn't real or just being put on birth control or being kind of just pushed underneath the rug. And it's like men can be like such a great reminder for our doctors and they can advocate for us, you know, because sometimes it's hard to advocate for yourself. Yeah. And I think that, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I would assume that the fact that he was with you and was such an ally and an advocate for you from early on in your relationship to deal with something as personal yeah. as your period pains. I mean, to me, that <laughs> probably elevated him from boyfriend status to he's the one status yeah. pretty quickly. 
oh yeah, I mean, there's no hiding anything. <laughs> <at that laughs> like, it's all out on the table, you know? For so sure. for yeah. sure. I want to go back to 11 year old chef Bay when yeah. this was first starting. Um, again, being a guy wouldn't ever know, but being a teen, being young, like that's awkward as it is just trying to figure everything out. And yeah. then you get your first period. But on top of that, you're having like all of this wicked bad pain to go with it. Mm -hmm. Like, did you feel like even more of an act outcast, even more confused, ashamed? Yeah. Talk to me about being 11 and going through this. I had such a rough teenage years, man. <laughs> like it I was bet. rough. You know, not only was I the first person to start my period amongst my peers, but throughout middle school and high school, I was like severely bullied. And there was a few reasons for that. Like I grew up in a super wealthy, white, like affluent kind of neighborhood in Colorado and my family was not wealthy. So, you know, like when everyone's getting these very expensive Christmas gifts and then I'm not, you know, you kind of just don't fit in automatically. Not only that, but I was the first person to like have a butt and like, you know, have curves and all of that thing. So all the girls kind of just didn't treat me as an equal from the very beginning. And then I got on birth control from a super young age. So it made me very just like aggravated and angry and depressed. And so it kind of just like made everything that was going on 10 times worse. And then I would react to it. And it just kind of like, you know, once I got to high school, you know, I was on Yaz, I got put on the Nuvering. Um, I was on painkillers, you know, just trying to function. I missed a lot of school. I started partying super, super young um, just to kind of deal with, you know, I kind of used alcohol and substances as just like a, just an outlet to kind of deal with what I was feeling just from being a teenager, you know, being a teenager is hard in general, but from being a teenager who was also on super strong birth control, who was also, you know, dealing with extreme pain, who was also, you know, like an outcast in her school. And so it definitely like affected me a lot. Um, but I'm, I'm grateful for that because I feel like I have such a different perspective on just everything because that experience was so difficult for me that now as an adult, I just have like a lot more compassion for other people going through something or people who are different or people who don't feel good or don't feel like themselves because, you know, I, there definitely is a way out and high school is like not the end of the world, you know, like it's just the beginning. So, oh yeah. It feels like it at the time though. I mean, <sighs> Man, that, those rough. four years, that is your entire world. Mm -hmm. And yeah. you think that it's an awfully big world until you get out and you're like, man, that was like a little teeny tiny micro kind of a universe that I was living in there. Totally. Yeah. You say that you were drinking and using substances at mm -hmm. such a young age. I mean, my heart just goes out to you because you're turning to these things. I'm guessing initially maybe to kind of cope with a lot of the emotional stress that's going on from being bullied yeah. and feeling like an outcast. But how quickly did you also discover like, yeah, this is a pretty strong pain reliever as well? I mean, you know, I didn't I didn't really realize what I was doing until like later on in life. You know, I think I ha I didn't have a good relationship with my parents. My parents just thought I was like out of control. You know, I had terrible grades, but the thing that I always think back to is like I always had a really good I always had a job. And so when even when I was in high school, I was managing a bakery. So I would wake up at four in the morning, I would drive, whether it was blizzarding, because I lived in Colorado and Boulder. So I would drive, you know, 
through the snow, whatever I needed to do, go to work. I would make pastries and bagels and like set open the cafe and like get everything ready. I would work a full shift before going to high school. And even though I had like a graduating a graduating 1.7 GPA, which was not great, <laughs> I, you know, had a job. I bought my first car. I was very independent. And so, you know, I just, I don't even remember what your original question was, to be honest, but I... I was okay, you know, like I, I remember now I was okay. Like I think back on that and like I was using it at just as a coping mechanism, but I was still doing what I needed to do to survive and to figure out how to be a person in this world because that's the hardest part. You know, when you're a teenager, you're like, what is this? Like you're between childhood and adulthood and you just can't really figure it out. But like, because I had financial security, because I was able to like, and that's why I'm so grateful that I didn't grow up in a super wealthy household because it gave me that work ethic to just like, you know, if I wanted a car, I had to buy it. You know, if I wanted new things, I needed to buy them for myself. If I wanted to go to college, I was going to have to take out the loans or pay for it. So yeah. And then my, my poor grades actually led me to go to La Cordon Bleu because they'll take anybody. <laughs> the dropout rate, <laughs> the dropout rate is so high that they're like, whatever, like you can come and see if you can like deal with this. And then, you know, so I was like, sure, take my money. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> what an endorsement. They'll take anybody. Oh, man, that's they so will. good. It's like oh, a 70% man. dropout rate. So, you know, it's hard. It's it's not an easy choice to go. I mean, the Le Cordon Bleu does not exist in the United States anymore. Right. Um, but it is, you know, culinary score, like going to CIA, the Culinary Institute yeah. of America. It's hard. It's like a super hard choice for Yeah, I, I want to talk to you about that in, in yeah. just a second. But, you know, that that going to high school and just having a, a rough go of it, um, clearly it's not a lack of intelligence that got you to that 1.7. Like I graduated by the skin of my teeth as well. Yeah. Like I had to literally pass all of my finals, majority of them with a B plus average or higher in order to graduate because mm. I had missed so much school my grades were absolutely in the tank for me. It was because of like crippling depressions. Our circumstances were a little bit different, but I totally get you. And so I just want to say to anybody who's a teenager who might be listening or to their parents, yeah. just because your kid has bad grades does not necessarily mean that they are stupid or unintelligent in exactly. any sense of, of the word. Like you strike me as actually chef being a highly intelligent human Thank being. You. Um, if I, if I didn't know, or if I didn't hear you say that you graduated with a 1.7, I'd have been like, the hell you say? <laughs> <laughs> no yeah. Way. I mean, even if there's parents listening and your kid's a loose cannon, like there's something else going on, you know? So instead of getting mad at them or, you know, being like, oh my God, my child's so out of control, try to like, you know, do some digging and try to figure like in a nice, respectful way, but try to figure out what's actually going on with them. Because a lot of times, like, it's not just what you see. There's always something else, whether it's with kids at school or something physical is happening with them, or, you know, maybe they're having like a self identity crisis. And I think being there for them and like being able to really listen to them is so important instead of just pointing the finger at them and being like, you know, you're a problematic <laughs> because, you know, 
I'm the queen of problematic, to be honest, sometimes, hey, especially you know when I'm what? a teen, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, maybe chaos suits you well. You wear it well. I think you're you're controlled yeah. chaos these days, I do though. love chaos, hence yeah. the chef culture, you know? <laughs> it is what it is. So no surprise, you go to La Cordon Bleu, where mm -hmm. they will accept everybody, but clearly not everybody graduates. Yeah. Um, you know, so here's the interesting thing. Like, you, you go down this route. Had you yet put two and two together that some of the pain that you're experiencing, your endo symptoms might be driven by the food that you're eating? No. So when I went to culinary school, I gained 30 pounds like that because you're eating pastries and butter and everything's cooked in pork belly and like, you know, you're learning how to butcher whole animals and it's really intense. And I also was continuing my party culture lifestyle. I was living in San Francisco and San Francisco back then it was 2010. So I always say that like the golden years of San Francisco before the big tech boom was 2009 to like 2014. And it was a fun place to live. Like we had so much fun. Like a lot of my friends were part of the gay community. So we were just always in the Castro and I, you know, started to gain a lot of friends that owned clubs and that kind of thing. So I was working like a maniac and I was partying like a maniac. And that is chef culture, you know, like that is kind of what you're taught. That's what your mentors do. That's what your coworkers do. You know, I would wake up in the morning and I was working at a cafe before I would go to work. I would work as a line cook. I mean, before I would go to school and then I would work out as a line cook after I would go to school and then I would party and I would probably get one to two hours of sleep a night. So of course my symptoms were like horrific. <laughs> like, you know, I was treating my body terribly and I was just trying to fit in and function. And I finally felt like for the first time in my life, I was free, you know, after a terrible high school experience, I was finally like getting friends that I really liked and like being respected by my peers for the most part. And I really loved it. And it, you know, it crashed and burned for sure. It, I, basically did that for like four years. I graduated culinary school, started working as a private chef and um, was working in restaurants. And I just basically crashed and burned. My symptoms got so bad that I just like couldn't really work anymore. I didn't want anyone to call me a chef. I was just very like, I just didn't even know who I was. I had a very much like self-identity crisis. And I ended up moving back in with my parents because I couldn't pay my rent because I was in so much pain. Um, when I was like 24, 25, <clears throat> which was pretty rough. <laughs> Again, like still such a young age, right? You're not 11, you're, you're in your early twenties, but we're still figuring everything out. It seems at that age as well. God. I mean, yeah. doing what you were doing, you, I mean, you mentioned searching for an identity. I mean, definitely mm. you're still going through that. And then you have this crazy setback before yeah. you had to move back in. Like, did you know? man, I'm going to go to work today and I'm going to get sick. Like that to me seems every single day. Like if you had to know that, and that was going to be your day in and day out experience, that's a drag chef, like yeah. a major, major drag. Well, and I think the important thing that I want to say here too, is I was undiagnosed with endometriosis at the time. So Basically, every time I would go to a doctor or a specialist, they would like 
say, oh, this could be endometriosis because, you know, you have to think back then it wasn't as talked about as it is now. There wasn't as good of, you know, diagnostic surgeries as there is now. And, you know, surgery was always on the table, but I would be like, hey, I'm super young. Like, what if something happens? They'll be like, well, if we find a cyst or something, we could, you know, we might have to remove your ovary. You know, you have to sign all this paperwork that maybe if you lose an organ, like it's just part of it. And I just wasn't really ready to take the risk to even do the diagnostic surgery because, you know, there's complications. And I was like, I'm so young. I'm just not ready for that. And, you know, during that time when I was living in San Francisco, I had, so part of my endometriosis pain was like insane back pain, like so, 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 so crippling and debilitating where I would lay down and like my right leg would just like shake so crazy. And so I went to the hospital one time because it was just so bad and they decided that they were going to do a spinal tap on me because someone decided that maybe it's a meningitis symptom. Well, it was a teaching hospital and someone did, I was like someone's first spinal tap and it went super wrong. I ended up getting like a bunch of nerve damage and it was just a really bad situation. I ended up having like a leak, had to go and get like a, I forget what it's called, where they put like your own blood back in there to kind of clot the spine. But that ended up causing me like even more pain. So that was, it was like, you know, I went to the hospital for someone to help me. And then I ended up leaving the hospital with like a new problem. Um, And that's kind of the experience of a lot of people with endometriosis is they go to the hospital hoping for something good to happen. And then you leave worse off than when you went in. So that's that's why a lot of times people won't even seek medical help because they're afraid that it's just going to make it worse, you know, because especially then there just wasn't a lot of awareness. Um, So yeah, it got to the point where it just got so bad that I you know, I had to go back home and I didn't have a good relationship with my parents at the time, like I was saying. So there's a real big blow on my ego to just, you know, I had a life, a whole life in Mm. San Francisco that I just had to let go of because I just couldn't do it anymore. Man, that's, that's a whole heap. Oh my gosh. Um, I'm curious, like, I know that you were talking about turning to alcohol and other substances Mm -hmm. to kind of help cope, but a lot of people also will turn to food to make them feel a little bit better. Did you also go down that road? What was your diet like at the time? Yeah. So I was actually a, like a pescatarian vegetarian at the time, mainly because when I was in culinary school, you know, I was learning how to butcher animals and my grandfather was a butcher. My great, great grandfather was a butcher. And I was just like super, I was really good at it. And I prided myself on being really fast and good at it. And then I just kind of like, one day I just woke up and was like, this is insane. And I think we we visited like a, it was a factory farm or a slaughterhouse or I kind of blocked it out of my memory to be honest, but in culinary school. So once that happened, I was like, I'm going to not eat meat anymore. This is kind of insane. So I stopped eating meat. But the problem with that is like most vegetarians, you know, you eat a lot of cheese and bread constantly. So I was definitely like a cheese lover. At the time I had cystic acne, you know, I had like horrible period pains, which I now I'm like, the dairy makes everything worse. Um, but yeah, I definitely used food for sure. I mean, I love food. I love to eat. I love to wine and dine. Like I absolutely love it. It's my absolute favorite thing to do. It's my favorite activity. If my husband's like, what do you want to do? I'm like, let's go eat at a restaurant. It's my favorite thing. Um, so yeah, I guess I used it in a sense, but not as much as like maybe you would think mm. in that time. 
so I guess then when did the great awakening, so to speak, happen for you? Like when, when did you just wake up one morning and say enough is enough? I need to look in another direction and figure this thing out. Yeah. So I moved home and then within two months of moving home, I had kind of reconnected with one of my really good friends and he was using um, drugs at the time. And that was still kind of like partying, you know, using a lot of alcohol and just just trying to, you know, I was living at home with my parents. I was in pain. I like had gone to this, um, I'm going to tell two stories at the same time, I guess. I had gone to this special, this spine specialist. Cause like I said, from the spinal tap and my back from the endometriosis was just in so much chronic pain. Like I was just in so much pain that this doctor had recommended that I fuse my spine together. But because of like what had happened to me and like what was showing on the MRI, there was like this high chance that I would never walk again. <laughs> and I was like, what? This is your answer for me? So I had that kind of awakening where I was like, okay, I can no longer depend on like this medical system to help me in this in this way because I just feel like I have never gotten a good answer from anyone. And then simultaneously, one of my best friends had passed away from substance abuse. Um, he was like my prom date when we were in high school. He, you know, we grew up down the street from each other. I had come home, we had reconnected, and then he had passed away two months after me moving home. And so, you know, both of those things kind of simultaneously happened. And I just was like, I need to get my life together. Like, <laughs> I can't continue this path. You know, I'm so young. I feel so old. I feel so aged. Like, what is my career even? You know, like, I don't even know what's happening. So that's when I went to the Institute for Integrative Nutrition. I was like, I'll just do this health coaching thing and see what happens. And that's when I kind of started to just learn. And then I kind of got addicted to learning and reading research papers and watching documentaries. And that's kind of where it all started. And that's when I started really learning about not plant-based so much at the time, but I was learning about chemicals in our food and like refined sugar and all that kind of stuff, alcohol, substances. I was learning about birth control. You know, I just was like, I'm just going to learn about this stuff because I felt so helpless. You know, I felt like this helpless little person that didn't know anything and was expecting everyone else to know all the answers. But I just realized that like, you know, no one's going to advocate for yourself like you can. And, you know, I started using my doctor's appointments as opportunities for them to help me answer questions because I had a lot of questions that I needed to be answered. And so that's a, when I say the initial awakening happened. <clears throat> I eventually moved to San Diego after living at home for like a year. Um, I got this offer to open up a cooking school. Um, the cooking school actually like didn't work out like a couple weeks into moving to San Diego, but I decided to stay and my endo symptoms were still really bad. I ended up bartending at this restaurant. It was like, I couldn't, you know, I was like trying to like get my private chef business back up. I was still bartending. My endo was still bad. I was like, ugh. I feel like I'm getting somewhere, but I'm not really sure where this is. And that's actually where I met my husband as we were coworkers at the bar. And we became really good friends. And then we started dating. And then, you know, I started getting clients as a private chef. And then I had surgery for my endo. I was like, you know what? I'm over this. I'm just going to get the diagnostic surgery. I just need to know. <laughs> like I knew, but I didn't know, no. So then I got the surgery for my endo. And I had just endometriosis all over me, like everywhere, you know, mm. and the doctor was like, of course you're in pain, but I had a lot of complications in my surgery. It was a super intense recovery. 
And I looked at my doctor because I had already known better, but I looked at my doctor and I was like, can you tell me if endometriosis and diet are connected? And she looked me dead in the eye and she was like, no, there's no evidence showing that endometriosis and diet are connected. There's nothing you can do naturally to heal any of this. You're going to be on pills and painkillers and birth control for the rest of your life. And I was like, okay, I'm done with you. Like, this is insane. I can't believe you just said that to me. And I basically use that conversation as fuel to keep going. And I went plant-based pretty much immediately after that. My husband went plant-based with me. He's like, this. Sorry. <laughs> that, let me, yeah, that's all good. It happens. You are now the second person in the history of the show to drop that. Uh, you have joined Sorry. Moby in that regard. So good okay, stuff. That's a good person to be, to be with. Sorry. <laughs> but you know, I just was over it and we both went plant-based together within a couple months. You know, my cystic acne went away. A lot of my like really intense symptoms went away. I started to like actually heal from the surgery. And then within six months, I got off birth control. I got off opiates. I got off any hormone replacements. And yeah, my life is like completely changed. You know, it's also like I got rid of all the like toxic cleaning products in my house. I de-stressed my life. I, you know, got rid of the toxic hair care products, the toxic everything, you know, and it just completely changed my life. I mean, it changed my husband's life too. So he's a totally different person now from going plant-based. He's even more vegan than I am, I swear, at this point. And he, you know, grew up in Chicago. He grew up eating, you know, deep dish pizzas and hot dogs and like all that stuff. And he saw the amount of pain I was in and was just like, dude, we're doing this together. Like, mm. It's over. Right on. <laughs> it's happening. Yeah. I, I would think though, like having this this training and being a chef actually puts you in a pretty good position to make this mm -hmm. transition over to a plant-based diet. A lot of people, you know, who who make this transition really struggle to even know like the first yes. thing about cooking a proper plant-based meal. Like you've already got all the tools in your kitchen. You know yeah. about flavor profiles. Clearly now you're learning about nutrition, having gone through IIN. Like mm -hmm. you, you were, you were ready for this. Like you were legitimately ready to make this step. Oh yeah. I mean, I feel like, I don't know if you believe in destiny or fate or whatever, but I feel like this is where I was headed. You know, I think, you know, once I made the choice to go vegan, not only did I become a better chef, but I got re-inspired to be in the kitchen. I got re-inspired to cook and share that passion that I have for food with other people again. And, you know, it no longer became about fitting into the boys club because that's what a lot of, I find, restaurant and chef culture is, is like, you're trying to fit in. You're like, you know, there's, you're just trying to like, you know, exist essentially. And at this point, I just wasn't existing anymore. I was really on a mission to thrive through food and do it in a way that was so good because, you know, I, if, I'm not going to eat something unless it's like, oh, you eat it and you're just like, oh my God, that's it. You know, you just want to feel all the feelings. You want to feel all the emotions when you're eating. And so that was my mission. I was like, I'm going to make plant-based food insane. Like I'm going to make it so good. I'm going to make everyone love it. And it's funny because I was private chefing and none of my clients were vegan. And so I was like, you know, when I first went vegan, I was still cooking non-vegan things for my clients, but I had this awakening where I was literally gutting a fish for one of my clients. And I was crying, listening to, I was actually listening to a plant-proof podcast. And I was, while I was gutting this fish, I'm listening to this podcast about veganism and I'm crying into this fish that I'm gutting. And I was like, this is the last piece of meat I'm ever going to cook. 
And then I sat all my clients down and I was like, you guys can fire me if you want, but we're going, we're all going vegan. <laughs> like I can't <laughs> do this. Like we're doing this together. And some How of my did clients, that go over? Some of my clients did fire me, but you know, that's fine. I was, you know, that's okay. Some of my clients didn't. And I have this one family that's been with me since I moved to San Diego. And you know, the dad has type two diabetes. The mom had really bad PCOS symptoms and we were able to get, I mean, they're not totally vegan by any means, um, but they eat vegan like half the time with me. And even just that we were able to, he's basically in remission from his diabetes and she has no symptoms of PCOS anymore. So it's pretty amazing what the power of food can do. Like even if they're doing a part-time, you know? Legit. So yeah. How, so how quickly did you begin to notice your symptoms were starting to alleviate after yeah. you decided to make that switch? I would say like three months. Like I noticed more energy and like all the kind of like surface level symptoms pretty quickly. But I would say like really the symptoms for my endo that I was experiencing, like my back pain and all that stuff, it took about three months, three to six months to really really start to feel the difference. And then once I got off birth control and was able to really detox off birth control, because I had been on birth control since I was 11. So it was like my body needed some serious time to just recalibrate. Once I was able to really feel like what it felt like off birth control, oh, it was like a whole new world for me. You know, mm. I just, everything changed. You know, my face, like my face was really skinny at the time. So my face kind of just like got health healthier. Like I just, everything about me just got so much healthier. You know, my eyes were brighter. I slept better. You know, I used to have nightmares every night, like every single night I would have nightmares. And then once I went plant-based and got off birth control, I stopped having nightmares every night. So it's just wow. like these tiny little things that you don't really think about that you deal with that were starting to just change. You know, I would have a peaceful night's sleep, which I didn't realize people just didn't have nightmares every night. <laughs> you know, I thought like, oh, you process trauma at nighttime. I mean, <laughs> yeah, know? right. Like if it's if it's like your routine, it is normal to you. It's not pleasant, but it's normal, it's just right? It's normal. Yeah. And you just exactly. assume Mm -hmm. That's that's just the way that it is. And yeah. I think back to that conversation that you had with your doctor about, you know, is diet connected in any way with endometriosis? And the doctor saying no, because doctors aren't trained in mm -hmm. nutrition. And I think back to that. And had you listened to that, how differently things may have played out for you. And it reminds me of the conversation. I talk about this all the time. The conversation I had with my my own surgeon, bariatric surgeon, where he told me after I had lost like 200 pounds, he's like, you need to eat a hamburger. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't even plant based at that point. But I was like, dude, you're literally putting crack back in the palm of somebody who's yeah. struggling with addiction. Like, why would you prescribe a hamburger, a hamburger? And I too did not take the doctor's advice that day, but had I, mm -hmm. I'd be in a much different place than I am right now, just as you would be, had you listened to your own doctor. Yeah. Um, so that's pretty cool. Um, now let me ask you this, when it comes to endometriosis specifically, did you find that for you, the biggest gains came from taking certain foods out of your diet? Or are there certain foods that you turn to now that really nourish and mm. help keep you functioning at a high level? That's a really great question. So we'll, we'll answer the first one first. So taking foods out, dairy and meat products, like the amount of estrogen that's in them. And not only that, like 
I also look at it from an energetic perspective. So a lot of times those animals are, I mean, all the time, there's no humane, happy thing that happens between a pasture-raised cow and the slaughterhouse. So I'll just say that, but they're not happy animals. So I call it petrified meat. You know, you're eating a piece of meat or you're eating dairy that has anxiety in it, has tons of stress, a lot of times has cancer. Um, it's just disease, like dealing with, like imagine that animal is just so stressed out. So you're, you're eating that energy. So I really believe in that as well. And, you know, really looking at what's inside of the dairy, what's inside of the meat. So getting rid of dairy and meat was like massive for me, especially dairy was like such an insane game changer. Um, and you know, it's interesting because you hear a lot of stuff on the internet about how like dairy is good for your hormones and it balances them, but it's just doesn't. So, you know, it's just like, I finally was able to like push through the weeds when it came to like crazy nutrition information online. Um, and also getting rid of refined sugar was massive for me, processed foods. And what else I'm trying to think? coffee on an empty stomach, you know, like that kind of stuff, just really spiking my cortisol levels. Like I really was just trying to like, okay, first thing in the morning, green smoothie, not a coffee. I used to drink like a whole milk vanilla triple latte every morning. Like that's not helpful for anybody. Like, Of course you go into flight or flight mode immediately after that. So, um, so yeah, it was pretty much meat, dairy, refined sugar, processed foods, and then a lot of like the pastries and sweets that I was eating, which goes into like the dairy refined sugar. I mean, I was a pastry chef. I loved that stuff. So it was really like a process of unlearning for me and just really learning how to enjoy different kinds of food, which is definitely a learning process. Like it's like one day I just woke up and hated croissants. You know, I just had to learn that they're just not good for me and it's okay to like wish them well, <laughs> but like <laughs> not necessarily eat them, you know? And then when it came to adding things into my diet, you know, I started cycle syncing the last couple of years and that's been really amazing. So for instance, like when I'm ovulating, I eat a lot of raw fruits and vegetables because that really can help absorb estrogen. And it just makes me feel really amazing when I'm going through that cycle. Or like, for instance, when I'm going through my period, I eat a ton of lentils and leafy greens and beans because I really just want to like up my iron intake, up my protein intake during that time. Cause you know, you're losing so many nutrients when you're on your period. And it's really important that you, you know, replenish because a lot of times if we give into all of our period cravings, you know, we go through our period and then it's like we're on the next phase of our cycle and we're super depleted because our body just went through something huge. And so if we're not nourishing during that phase, then you're going to get to your follicular phase, which is right after your, your menstrual phase. And you're going to be so tired, so depleted. And I want to feel like amazing, you know, like I want to feel amazing after my period. I want to be like, I just got through that. Like I'm killing it. I'm feeling good. So <laughs> that's really important for me as well. And, you know, I Often in the spring, summer, I do something called what I call raw till four. I'm actually, I think, going to create like a little course around it because I just absolutely love it where I eat raw food until 4 p.m. And it's so fun and exciting because I get so many greens in, so many raw fruits and vegetables in. I eat things like kelp noodles and nori wraps and things that I just normally wouldn't eat if I wasn't kind of like challenging myself to do something different. 
And that has been amazing. I just feel like my skin is super glow. I'm doing it right now, actually. So I just feel like my skin is super glowy. I have more energy. I sleep so much better. And especially after like the fall winter months when we're eating a lot of heavier foods and we're kind of like slowing down a little bit and cozying up. I love this raw till four mentality because you're just eating abundance of plants that you normally wouldn't and you're getting just them and they're like a live whole food form. And it just keeps my creativity popping during the day. So yeah, I think that was a long-winded answer to your question, but that's what I'm vibing with, especially right now. It was, but like I'm picturing this whole course now, like <laughs> slay with Bay, right? I just think that <laughs> yeah. that would be super epic. Uh, you know, I, I think yeah. you could do a world of good and have a world of fun coaching people up, so to speak. I think yeah. that that's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Slay with Bay. Write it down, Slay take it, run with it. Okay. Um, awesome stuff. <laughs> awesome, awesome, awesome stuff. Um, one bit of housekeeping before we wrap up. Um, yeah. You mentioned hormones that were in meat and dairy, but then you also said soy. A lot of people, again, mm -hmm. equate soy with estrogen. Is that a concern with you at all? No, not at all. So there's actually a ton of studies that are coming out right now about phytoestrogens actually being super helpful for people with period problems um, and how they're actually decreasing your risk for things like breast cancer and ovarian cancer. And, you know, I, I had Dr. Clapper on the show and he was saying that <laughs> – I love Dr. Clapper. He was saying that like if um, – if soy like had a real estrogen in it and it actually gave you boobs, like it would be the most popular thing to eat. And he's right, you know, there, cause there actually is estrogen in dairy products. No one blinks an eye when they think about estrogen and dairy products, but the phytoestrogen in soy is totally different. Soy is one of the healthiest things that we can eat. It's a complete plant protein. And as long as you buy it organic, you're good to go. You know, I definitely worry about the amount of glyphosate that's sprayed on soy products. Um, that are non-organic. So I really stay away from that. You know, like even eating tofu out at a restaurant, it's hard to know if it's organic or not. So for me personally, I make a ton of tofu at home or I make soy milk or I'll drink soy milk from the store, but I always look and make sure it's just organic soybeans and water when it comes to the ingredients. You really want to make sure about the ingredients, but yeah, we love soy in our house. We're all about tofu. Like crispy tofu, I could literally live on it. So, <laughs> uh, Yeah, I saw uh, one of the reels that you posted up on Instagram uh, was just that. And the recipe that you used was like super simple. It was like so just easy. a couple of ingredients mm -hmm. and then throw them in the air fryer at high heat. I yeah. think you put them in there for 10 minutes and then it was like game on. It's so good. And like yeah. I also have gotten really into – so pressing your tofu and then you freeze it and then you dethaw it and then you marinate it. Okay, hold on, hold on. <laughs> no, no, I mean, what, what, wow. Okay, why and how does this help? It sounds really easy. Okay. Let's maximize the tofu. Yes, exactly. So basically when you freeze and then dethaw tofu, it makes it into like this amazing meaty consistency. So if you've ever had like mock duck at a Chinese restaurant or mock chicken or something like that, it's essentially what they do. They freeze the tofu first and then they marinate it and it's amazing. It's so good. It makes it so meaty. And you have to press the tofu. So you press it. It's kind of like a process, but if you do it as your meal prep, you do like five blocks of tofu, you press it, you get all the water out, you freeze it. Then you thaw it and then you marinate it and it's money. Yo, mm -hmm. we're yeah. going to end with some knowledge today. That's what we just <laughs> did. We just got, all right, freeze your tofu, boys and girls. Yeah, there it's you go. Good. That's mm -hmm. your roomy.
Fish nugget of the day. Awesome, Thank Chef Bay, yeah. coming into play. Like, yeah, man, Thanks we got to get you me. back on. This has been a blast. So here's the deal. I love your website address, by the way, uh, chefbay.kitchen. You yes. have a dot kitchen web address. Yeah. Dope. Blows.com out of the water. <laughs> Who's got time for that? We're going for the kitchen. Yes. I mean, you can enter chefbay.com too. It'll go to chefbay.kitchen. Not nearly um, as fun. It's all connected. But yeah, it seems like more fun, chefbay.kitchen. I, you know, when I decided to be Chef Bay, most of my friends call me Bay like seven or eight years ago. I was like, let's see what we can have fun with here. So yeah, chefbay.kitchen. I also have a cookbook. It's called Cook, Heal, Go Vegan. It came out two, almost two years ago now. I can't believe it. Um, but yeah, I have a series on TikTok called Breaking Up with Dairy. Intent. That's the title of my new book coming out in 2025. And so if you're looking to break up with dairy, you want amazing dairy-free recipes that are made from whole food ingredients, head over to TikTok. I also post them on Instagram as well. And yeah, I'm just all about helping people thrive and eat what they want to eat. Like you can eat what you want and what you need. You don't have to give up amazing flavor profiles in order to heal your body. And I think that is such a common misconception. Like you can still have insane crave-worthy food and heal. Like it's possible, you know? And it does, it's a learning curve for sure. But like you can, you can do it. Chef Bay is just this incredible bundle of energy and enthusiasm and hope and healing and i'm just feeling all kinds of good right now so what i want to do is keep the good times rolling and we have not done a five-star health success in a while and i think that is the perfect recipe to keep on the inspiration train so let's go ahead and grab one And this one comes to us from an exam roomie by the name of Fed Up. And Fed Up gave the show a five-star rating on Apple Podcast and left this in a review. They write, I switched to a plant-based diet after watching What the Health in July of 2017. I was five foot nine and weighed 180 pounds at the time and my cholesterol was 242. Even though I was active and fit, I was focused on protein and not enough fiber. So I went cold turkey on dairy, meat, and eggs. Two months later, my cholesterol was down to 197, and my last blood work showed that it had dropped all the way to 150. Thank you so much. Well, fed up, I guess you are fed up with high cholesterol. That is amazing. I am so happy for you. That is a huge drop, an absolutely enormous drop. And it makes me think about some of the things that Dr. Barnard and I were talking about on the previous show where we were going in and looking at the American Heart Association's recent diet rankings for heart health and that a low-fat plant-based diet was ranked in the third out of four tiers. But the studies show, and obviously with Fed Up story here, what that also shows is that a low-fat, plant-based diet that is filled with fiber has nothing but cardiovascular upside. So Fed Up, I am so happy for you. Really, that is such an enormous drop. We're talking about close to 100 points difference. Just amazing. Absolutely extraordinary. 
And if you have a health success that you would like to share, go ahead, do it right now. Rate the show with five stars on Apple Podcast or Spotify. And in the review box that comes with that, go ahead and drop your own five-star health success. Let us know how a plant-based diet and the exam room have helped to improve your health. And we may feature your own story right back here on the show. And don't forget, if you're an exam roomie in the New York City area, July 12th, we are doing the big exam room live and in person at the Museum of the City of New York and Rip Esselstyn. Mr. Plant Strong will be there that night, along with myself and Dr. Neil Barnard and Dr. Robert Osfeld. We are getting together to have the most heart-healthy night of your life in the Big Apple and probably... You're going to walk away with some incredible tips for lowering your own cholesterol, just like fed up. Tickets are limited. We sold out in LA. I do expect that the exam roomies are also going to sell out in New York. So make sure that you get yours today. PCRM.org slash events or click the link in the episode notes. And if you are in the Washington, D.C. area, come on out and say hi. On June 4th, I'll be speaking at Planet Bethesda. And all the details for that right now are in the episode notes. Just go ahead and click the link right on over to their website. But for today, that is going to wrap things up. I want to say thank you one more time to Chef Bay for being here and bringing her energy and inspiring us and raising our health IQs. And for everyone at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, as always, keep it plant-based. Plant-based.